You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. Uh, we got to do Helping His Kids yesterday, which was fantastic. For those of you who came and volunteered and helped, thank you so much for helping put that on. We had over 500 families that came through, which was just incredible. Um, like a thousand plus kids uh, were, are going to have presents this Christmas morning, which is really, really just an amazing thing. So thank uh, for helping out with that. Man, you came in. It's decorated. Uh, special thanks to Jen Williams for making all of this just awesome. So uh, it's Christmas. It's like Christmas is here. It's, the, it's just an awesome season. Uh, on Friday, me and Garner are going to fly to Arizona to get to do Christmas in the village. And you guys have basically paid for and bought uh, seven, 800 toys for us to host a block party in a village. And people are going to come there who uh, maybe can't get presents on their own. They're going to get to come there, shop for their kids so that they have Christmas. And we're going to get to tell them the gospel too. So it's just an amazing, amazing thing. And you know, when you help with something like helping his kids or Christmas in the village, you're always blessed by it. And if you came and helped, you were definitely blessed Um, But for me, it's always I'm blessed, but I'm also broken because you just hear story after story and uh, talk to one couple who walked through and shared that they were homeless. Uh, A tornado took out their home. They're living in a hotel. Uh, Their car broke down. They can't get to work. So they're out of, they're not employed. They don't have money. Like they were literally just destitute and had, had nowhere to go. And they were very grateful and thankful that they were able to come here and at least have Christmas presents for their kids. But honestly, their need is much deeper than that. So just going home, thinking about, man, that there, there's some heavy stories and you guys might be part of one of those heavy stories. And what's significant is I went home and, and I was going to bed just thinking about just that couple and, and, and a lot of people that came through those in really hardship. Um, I began to think, you know, that, that was Ruth. Like, like Ruth would have been one who would have probably came yesterday and, and stood in line early in the morning to come because she wouldn't have had a way to get Christmas presents any other way. She was, she was destitute. She was um, needy. She was, she was unable maybe to just get some basic provisions that, that she would have been in the, in the same place. And what I had to realize is last night, sometimes for some of us who've never been on the other side of that, like if you're the person at the soup kitchen that's always serving the soup and you're never the one that holds the bowl and gets soup, receives soup, sometimes it's hard to understand that spiritually you are just like Ruth in this scenario. That, that spiritually we come to Jesus not as those who have it together. We come to Jesus as those who are needy and broken. We come to Jesus on the other end of the soup line as those who say, I have nothing. All I bring to you is my sin, but I need a redeemer. And so what we find is that, man, the story of Ruth, it's about a woman who's destitute and needy who finds provision in a man named Boaz, who we're going to see connects us really to the gospel story, which is what Christmas is all about that you and I have a desperate need. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And so here's what I hope you see this morning. I hope you see yourself as Ruth in chapter 2, that you are needy, broken, and hopeless, and you're casting yourself on the mercy of another. 
And I hope that you would also see Boaz as a type of Christ. One who is a worthy man who has the provision and the protection and the ability to meet your need with his provision. So I hope you see Boaz as a type of Jesus and yourself as a type of Ruth. So let's go to the story and let's read the first line of chapter 2. So every Bibles, Ruth chapter 2 as we're going to see a needy woman meets a worthy man this morning. So if you have your Bibles, if you would stand out of reverence for the Word of God, we're going to read verse 1, and we're going to walk through this whole chapter together. Here's what we read. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that we are Ruth. We're needy, we're empty, and I pray that we would come to Jesus like, Boaz, like Ruth comes to Boaz, and that in his provision and protection, she is satisfied, that she has met her needs with his provisions. Help us to see our need for Christ this morning. We pray this in Jesus' good name, amen. You guys may be seated. So if you haven't been with us, let's recap a little bit. Chapter 1, there's a famine in Bethlehem. It pushes a family out. Naomi, her husband, go to seek bread. Uh, and their two sons in the land of Moab. Uh, the two sons marry two Moabite girls. Then the father dies and the two sons die. So now Naomi's a widow. And Ruth, one of those girls, is also a widow. So they don't really know what to do. So they decide to go back to Bethlehem because they hear there's bread in Bethlehem. So that's, that's chapter 1. So now we have Ruth, who's a Moabite, who is a widow and in dire need. She can't provide for herself. She has to go find provisions. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. And then we pick up in chapter 2 that line, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's. And so when the listener heard that, they would have just saw a commercial for The Bachelor. Like when we watch a commercial for The Bachelor, like, like we know what's happening, right? Like somebody's trying to find love and they're trying to find marriage. Like we just see that, oh, we know, like Bachelor, Bachelorettes, we know what that is. Well, the reader just heard that. They just heard there is a woman who's a widow, but there is a man who is a relative, who is a kinsman redeemer, as we're going to see Throughout this story, there is someone from our clan, from the clan of Elimelech, and he is a worthy man. So they just heard there's a woman who needs a man, and there's a bachelor. And so the story's getting good. It's, it's chapter 2. So we're going to see this story play out. And I want us to notice that throughout this story, throughout the story of Ruth, I think what we find is Boaz in this story is a type of... Of Christ. And in fact, um, Mitchell Chase, he says there's actually seven ways that Boaz is a type of Christ. He wrote an article on Southern's website, and I found it really helpful. And he connects seven different ways where Boaz is like Jesus. Number one, he's from the tribe of Judah. So we see in this text that this man, Boaz, he's from the clan of Elimelech. We've been told in chapter one that Elimelech is from the clan of Judah. So we find that language of Judah, and if you know your Bible, Micah 5.2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. 
So that's one of our like key Christmas texts. And it's all about one coming from Bethlehem who is of the tribe of Judah. That's Jesus. But here we have a man in our text who's from Bethlehem and he is in the tribe of Judah. So we see that he's from Bethlehem. That's the second one. Third, he plays the role of a redeemer. So we're going to see that, especially in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's going to play this role of a redeemer, which is what Jesus does for us. Then he's going to take a bride from the nations. Think about Jesus. What does he do? He takes a bride from not just Israel, but of all nations. That's you and me, the Gentiles. That's who Ruth is, a Gentile, an outsider. But Boaz takes a bride from the nations, just as Jesus does with us. Next, he shows covenant, or he shows constant acts of kindness. So we're going to see Boaz, constant acts of kindness, which is what Jesus does with us. Boaz is a keeper of the law and then some. We're going to see all throughout this text, Boaz keeps the law, but he goes above and beyond the law, which is what Jesus does for us. Jesus doesn't just give us the law, he goes above and beyond through grace. And lastly, he's an abundant provider. That's who Boaz is, which clearly is who Jesus is. So we're going to see that Boaz, throughout this whole story, is really a type of the Lord Jesus. He is a worthy man from Judah, from Bethlehem. He's providing. He is a redeemer. So we see all these qualities that link Boaz to Jesus. But if you're going to get Jesus, you have to see yourself as Ruth. So notice as we see in this text, we meet Boaz. And he's a worthy man. This could mean just he's rich and ha- has a lot of means. And it does mean that. But also when it says he's a worthy man, it means he's a man of good character. And we see this all throughout the story. He's a man of character. So he is able to provide, but he's also the kind of man you want to end up with. And we find Jesus in the same way. He is not only able to provide, he is a worthy man who perfectly meets the law and exceeds the law for us. So we see next, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi. So Ruth is telling her mother-in-law, let me go to the fields and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So again, Ruth, she, she's a widow. She's alone. Naomi's a widow. She's alone. They don't have any income. They don't have a job. They don't have any means. So Ruth says, hey, Naomi, let me go and glean among the fields. And the reason she's appealing to this is because Naomi has probably told her about the laws of God. And so one of the laws of God allowed for the poor or the sojourner to get the leftovers of harvest. For instance, I'll read it in Deuteronomy 24. It says this, When you reap your harvest in your fields and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand. So God has made a provision that, hey, when you're um, sojourning, when, when you're doing these things in your field, when there's leftovers, when stuff falls to the ground, don't pick it up. Leave it. Because there are the poor among you who don't have fields. There are the poor among you who don't have a way to get income. So God, in his generosity, in his provision, has made a way for the poor to walk behind and to get the leftovers. This would be our modern-day clothing closet or soup kitchens or food banks. There is, there is provision for those who are poor and needy and need a handout. This is the same in Israel. And so for the sojourner, for the poor, and Ruth is both of those. 
She is poor and she's also a sojourner. So she says, hey, let me fulfill the law. Let me go and see. Notice what she says. If I can find favor in somebody's eyes. In other words, let me go and see if somebody will take pity on me. Somebody will show mercy on me and let me just walk behind the field and get the leftovers. That's her expectation. That maybe I can get enough leftovers to feed myself and my mother-in-law. So it says this, and she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the clan of Eliminate. I I love the way it says that. And so here's Ruth. She's like, Naomi, I'm going to go and try to just get the leftovers. I'm going to try to glean behind the workers. And so there would have probably been like one large field that a lot of people own different parts of it. So you go to the part that you owned and you reap what you own and you're getting bread and provisions for your family and for your workers. So it says she's going and the Bible says, and it just so happened that she went to the part of the field that belonged to a guy named Boaz, who we've just been introduced as, as the bachelor. We've just been introduced as, here's a possible kinsman redeemer, here's a relative, and it just so happens that Ruth landed in the right place at the right time. And I, I think the Bible is being sarcastic here. It's being ironic here. The narrator wants us to say, um... That doesn't look like it just so happened. That doesn't look like Ruth just happened to go to the right. That feels a lot like providence. That feels a lot like God just did this, and that's supposed to be our response. It wasn't it just so happened. This is the sovereign hand of God putting Ruth in the exact place she needs to be to meet her Redeemer. And so here we see in this story, and it's going to weave all the way through Ruth, this ordinary stories of Ruth and Boaz, but the extraordinary story of God. That God is in the background the whole time. God's sovereignty is playing out in every step they take, though they don't know it. Ruth does not say, I'm going to go to Boaz's field. I'm going to try to seek him out. She's like, I'm just going to go somewhere and try to get some food. But it just so happens she's exactly where God wants her to be. And I just want to remind you that you as a believer, you live your life under the sovereign hand of God. And that the steps you take, they're not just coincidence. They're providence. That's what's happening in her life. This isn't coincidence, this is providence. She is in the right place exactly where she needs to be. See, what we forget a lot of times is in our story, God is always in the background. God is always moving and doing for our good and his glory. See, Ruth's clueless to that. We as the readers and hearers know that. We see it, but she doesn't know it. She's just trying to make ends meet, but God is richly providing for her, as we're going to soon find. So I just want to remind us that we live our lives not by coincidence, but by providence. That God is working in the background of your life and your story, and things are happening around you that you might not even be aware of. I'll just give you like a real simple example, just just this week. So Tuesday night, Shelly texted me and said, hey, can you do a 15-minute Devo for the fifth graders about Advent reading? And I, I don't even answer. I was doing some things. I forgot to answer back. So Wednesday morning at like, uh, this is probably like 10 or 11, she texts me and says, hey, did you get my text? I really need you to teach Wednesday. And I'm like, Okay, sure, I can do that. 
And I really wasn't thinking about my Wednesday because I had already committed with a group of hardened guys that were going to move all the tables from the pavilion up here for helping his kids. And I had a meeting with a guy that was supposed to be kind of in between that. So I just kind of overbooked and was like, well, I'll just make it work. So needless to say, I didn't have a lot of time to put into a 50-minute devotion for fifth graders. But I'm like, I think I can wing this because it's about reading their Bible. They're going to give me some stuff. It's going to be fine. So I'm down at the pavilion putting up tables. I'm looking at my watch. I've got to be there at like uh, 6.45. So I'm watching like 6.40. I leave the pavilion, like roll in two tires, jump up, go. I'm like out of breath. I walk into a classroom and I'm like, I really don't know what I'm going to say to these kids. So I start with, hey, a lot of you don't put Jesus first through Christmas, just like a lot of adults. And we get Christmas backwards. It's about toys, about this, about that. And what we need to do is put Jesus first in our lives, and especially during Christmas. And then I just begin to teach them how to like study the Bible, how to do their live event, not thinking a thing about it. So do that 15 minutes, go home. Uh, on Friday, I get here for helping his kids set up. I come early, and I'm putting up a little camera to do like the time-lapse video. It's about 7 o'clock. Uh, Christina Clark comes in and says, did you not get my email Wednesday night? I'm like, no, I didn't. She says, well, that, that makes sense, because I wonder why you ghosted us. Because what happened is, Zorabelle got saved Wednesday night after your talk. And honestly, when she said that, I was like, what talk? Like, I don't even remember what you're, because in my head, like, there was no, like, gospel talk with, like, a response, like, come to Jesus, everybody, like, nothing like that. It was just to put Jesus first. Well, what I didn't know is Zorba went home and lost sleep because Jesus wasn't first in her life. And it broke her. And it was just a little lie, just something like, like very just thrown out that what I didn't realize is God was in the background the whole time. God had a plan for that exact moment. And I was just one person who was used in the sovereign plan of God to bring life to a little girl. And you know what? That's true for all of us. For every one of you, you are taking steps and doing things and you're walking and through being faithful and obedient to the Lord, he is using you to execute his sovereign plan for the universe. And he's working in the background. Like, don't forget this. Ruth didn't just happen to be in a field. God put her there. You don't just happen to be at work. You just don't happen to be in your family. You just don't happen to be at that place. God might have a reason for you there. So be open to all that he's doing around you. So here we see Ruth in the exact place that she needs to be. And then we're going to find that Boaz meets Ruth. And so look with me in verse 4, it says this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. Like, I don't know how much more redundant the story can be. Like, hey, this is a story about Bethlehem. And it's probably, gonna, like, in the future, there's me. Like, it's just so Judah, Bethlehem, here it comes. David's born in the end. Like, I think Ruth is all about Christmas. And so here you have a worthy man coming from Bethlehem. And notice this, he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. So first we, saw, we see that Boaz, he is a worthy man. He is a worthy employer. He is speaking good to his employees, to his workers, to the people laboring in his fields. He is speaking blessing and he is wanting them to have the favor of the Lord. So he is a, he's a guy when hardly anybody's following the Lord, he is. Because remember this time of the judges, everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, not Boaz. He is following the Lord, and he's ensuring that other people follow the Lord. He is a worthy man. Then it says this, Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
So here Boaz notices Ruth. Like this is that moment in the movie where like all of a sudden it like slows down and like the music amps up and you've got like this girl who's like, you know, doing her, she looks up and like her hair like flies back. You know, it's like it's in the wind and the lighting hits her just right. And like nobody else is around. Now it's like a tropical beach setting and it's like paradise. And here's Boaz just looking like, who, who is this? Like it's that moment in the story. Like Boaz is noticing her and no one else. It is her and her only. And his question is, um, she's not one of my laborers. I did not hire her. She, whose is she? Like, because she's working in a field, there have been other people, and he's asking, who is this girl? So Boaz notices Ruth. And then in verse 6 it says this, and the, serpent, and the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and has continued from early morning until now, except for a short west. So here you have, he's noticing her. Boaz is saying, who's this girl? Who's this Ruth? And she has been working. She's a hard worker. She's laboring. She's only rested a little bit. So she is getting after it. She's putting herself in a place where she can hopefully meet her own needs, having to rely on the mercy of another. She's going to have to be allowed to do this. And we see that the servant of Boaz has allowed her to do this. But notice, twice it says she is a Moabite. She is from Moab. So she's not one of the people of Israel. She's an outsider. She's not part of the family. We're going to see that all throughout this text, that she is an outsider, she's a Gentile, she's not part of God's people, and that's going to be important because Ruth is going to be shocked when she's brought in to the family. So we see Boaz now is going to pursue Ruth. Verse 8 says this, Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Now that word keep close, it can also be translated as cling. And I think it would be better because I think the point is, um, in chapter 1, Ruth clings to Naomi and Naomi's God. Now she is told to cling to Boaz's servant, to stay with his young women, to not go to another field, but to stay in his field, to stay under his provision and protection. Notice what we see. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Now you might think like, well, why is he having to tell guys to do that? Well, remember, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. It is a wicked time in Israel. So if you have a woman who's a widow, who's poor and needy, who comes into a field needing provisions, that would have been really easy for a guy to take advantage of Ruth. Really easy. But here you have Boaz protecting Ruth, telling his guys not to mess with Ruth. So he's putting his protection over this very vulnerable person. And then it says this in verse 9, Let your eyes be on the field. Have I not charged them not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the young men have drawn. So not only I've told my guys, I've told the rest that we are to protect you, but now Boaz says, Ruth, when you're thirsty, you go to our water coolers. You drink from our springs. This would have been something that the law didn't require. 
The law required to leave your leftovers in the field so that the poor and sojourner can pick them up. The law never said, allow the sojourner or the poor to come into your camp and drink your water. That was not a provision that you had to provide. But we're going to see over and over, Boaz goes way above the law. He goes abundantly above the law. He shows her grace, not just what she deserves, but what she doesn't deserve. So come and drink with us. Drink the water with us. And notice her response. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? So here we see Ruth knows her place. She knows she doesn't belong to the clan of Elimelech. She knows she doesn't belong to the people of God. She is a sojourner. And the only thing she is really required to get is the leftover so that she can live. But Boaz is giving her way more than she could ever deserve. He is showing her extravagant grace and generosity and mercy and love. And her response is, why are you showing me favor? I don't deserve this. I am not your people. I, I shouldn't be getting what I'm getting. Her posture towards him is humble gratefulness. And I think in this we see a little picture of what we experience in the gospel. Because what we experience in the gospel is we don't get what we deserve. What, what we deserve is hell forever because of our sins. We get what we don't deserve. Like in the gospel, we are actually treated unfairly. See, to be treated fair is to give you what you deserve, and if God treated you fairly, then you would get death. God treats you unfairly. He treats you with grace. He gives you way more than you deserve, so your posture towards God and the gospel should be, why are you doing this, God? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve your favor. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace. See, that posture means you actually get the gospel. If you're, in your mind, if it's, well, of, of course God, like, did that for me. Like, of course he sent Jesus on the cross. Of course he died and rose again because I'm, like, awesome and great and, and really, and God is just really happy to have me because I, I'm just, well, I'm amazing. So I'm entitled to his salvation. Ruth was not entitled. Ruth was grateful. And when it comes to salvation, we need to remember we are not entitled to salvation. God is not owed to give us life. But instead, we get grace. Therefore, we shouldn't be entitled, we should be grateful. We should have this response, who am I? Why did you take notice of me? Why did you show favor to me? And the answer is because God loved you. The answer is because Boaz loves her. It's not because she's this, because it's because he loves her. So she is blown away that he would show her favor. And now we're going to see that Boaz is going to bless Ruth. Notice what it says in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before, the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." 
So one of the things that Boaz is drawn after Ruth is it's her character. It's not where she's from. It, it, it's her character. It's what, it's what she's done that she has, well, in a real way, exemplified faith. That she has linked herself with Naomi and Naomi's God, which is the God of Israel. She has taken refuge under God's wings, as Boaz says. And that's really what salvation is. That you realize, hey, I have no refuge outside of God. I can't pull it together. I can't fix my own problems. I am in big trouble. What I need is to come under the wings of God. That's what Ruth did. She came under the wings of God. Boaz says, I know that you've cared for Naomi, and I know that you decided to leave your people, your mother, your place. You've left really your whole life to come after a people and a God, the God of Israel. You've completely turned and you've completely embraced. You've put yourself under the wings of God. Therefore, he blesses her and, and prays that the Lord would reward her. For what she's done. And that's really a little picture of what our salvation looks like. That we, just like Ruth, we leave a place to come under the wings of God. We leave who we were and our sin and our beginnings. We leave those things and we come and we cling to God. We come under his wings and under his blessing. We say the only refuge I have is God. I can't fix myself. I can't help myself. I can't Make it except for I'm putting myself under the very wings of God. And again, Ruth's response was, I can't believe you found favor in me because I'm an outsider. And again, that language of, and that hits us because most of us, most of us aren't the people of Israel. Most of us are Gentiles. Most of us are outsiders. Like America would be like, Moab, like we're, we're not with God, we're not in God's place. We are Gentiles. But what we find is that Jesus takes a bride from the nations, that Jesus came, even though we weren't a people, he makes us his people. We see the grace of God, what we don't deserve, we ultimately get. And then I love this next scene. Ruth shares a meal with a redeemer. So who's Boaz? He's a potential kinsman redeemer. He's a potential person who's related, who can redeem her. Now, if you're a little fuzzy about what kinsman redeemer means and what that implies, come next week because that's what chapter three is about. So I don't want to spoil it, but we're just going to know that there is a redeemer. Boaz is a redeemer. The question is, will he redeem Ruth? We're not sure, but now Ruth is going to share a meal with a redeemer. Notice what it says in verse 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. Now, this could be just a random, hey, we just worked and let's have a meal together. But I think when you look at just the narrative and how it's going down and how this is, there's a potential redeemer. She is a needy person who has nothing and has cast herself on the protection and, 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 and what this person could offer her. Now there's this meal and he sits down with her as a potential redeemer. And what do they do? They break, they break bread and they drink wine together. And does that not sound like an echo of what's to come? Does that not sound like something that happens in the Gospels when our Lord Jesus sits down with his disciples and they have a meal with the Redeemer? And he takes the bread and he takes the cup. 
And that's what we get to do tonight. We get to come back at 5 o'clock and we get to have a meal with a Redeemer. Not just a Redeemer, the Redeemer. The one who has redeemed us from our sins. I think it's a little picture of what the Redeemer is going to do in the future when he has a meal with us and shows us his redemption is through his body and blood. The true redemption of the world. But not only do they share a meal, notice what is said about this meal. So she sat down beside the reapers and she passed and he passed her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and had some left over. So now in this meal, she is satisfied and there are leftovers. Which I don't know about you takes me to John's gospel where another meal, our true redeemer, does what? He has a miracle, changes a couple of loaves of fish and bread into a meal for 5,000. And what happened? It says all of them went home satisfied and there were leftovers. So I think this meal is pointing to the meals that we're going to have with Jesus. That through his body and through his blood, we eat, we're satisfied, and there is more than enough left over. So we see a, a meal with a redeemer. But notice, even in this meal, Boaz is going above and beyond what the law requires. Here's what it says in verse 15. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So the law says, let the sojourner and the poor walk behind you and pick up the leftovers. Boaz says, um, Ruth, you come up here. You come with the workers. You take part in what we're doing. You're now in the family. You're not outside of the family. Come into what we're doing. And also he tells his men, hey, when you're like cutting the sheaves, just give some to her. This is way above and beyond what the law requires. He is not treating her fairly. He is treating her extravagantly. He is not giving her what she deserves. He is giving her what she does not deserve. He is treating her like I treat Evie Kate in my house. Not like those boys. Those boys get like food, bed, basic provisions. Evie gets like whatever she wants, right? It's like just above and beyond. Clearly the favorite. Clearly has dad's heart. Like whatever you want. It is above and beyond. This is how Boaz is treating Ruth. Above and beyond, extras, give to her, lavish on her. And what we see is a little picture of what Jesus does with us. Jesus doesn't give us what the law requires. You know what would happen if he did? That would be giving us death. Jesus gives us above and beyond what the law requires. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us his abundant grace. He gives us more he gives us abundance. He blesses us. He spools us as his children. We get his life. We get his righteousness. We get the new kingdom to come. We get so much more than what we deserve, which is what Ruth is experiencing. Ruth is a needy outsider, comes in and gets way more than she could ever expect, which is the story of the gospel. And then notice what we see. We see God's kindness unfolding. Verse 17 says this. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephod of barley. 
And she took up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave the food that she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz, like just so happened to be. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord. Notice Naomi, the bitter woman, is now blessing Boaz. Notice how the Lord's kindness is changing her heart. A woman who comes in bitter is now a woman who is blessing Boaz. She is speaking blessings on him. And then she says, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, it's a little hard to know, okay, what, who is the who's there? Because if you read it, it says, may he be blessed by the Lord. Well, that he is Boaz. But then it says, whose kindness is not forsaken the living or the dead. So who is the whose? Is the who Boaz or is the who God? Is it God's kindness that is not forsaken the living or dead? Or is it Boaz's kindness that is not forsaken the living or the dead? And the answer is, we don't know. It's ambiguous. We're not sure. And I think that's the point. The point is, this is God's kindness through Boaz. See, we often forget the sovereignty of God works through the faithfulness of his people. It's Boaz being kind. It's Boaz doing what the law requires and then some. It's Boaz being a worthy man. And we see the sovereignty of God. He is showing the kindness that he has towards Naomi and Ruth through the kindness of Boaz. That remember, God's sovereignty doesn't work against your faithfulness. Your faithfulness works in harmony with God's sovereignty. So be faithful. Move, do, obey, because under that is God's sovereign hand working and moving and blessing those around you. And the truth is, Naomi, who thought she was forsaken, now sees God's kindness has not forsaken me. God has not forsaken my family. And some of you need to hear that this morning, that God has not forsaken you. Because it sure feels like it. Especially this Christmas season when you've suffered loss, You've suffered regret, you have guilt, you have shame, you feel isolated, you feel empty, you feel a lot like Ruth and you're saying, I'm just forsaken and no one loves me. God is showing his kindness to you in ways you can't even imagine because he has not forsaken you. And in Ruth's case, her redeemer is near. And in your case, your redeemer is near. And then notice what we see. Ruth clings to Boaz as we close. It says this in verse 21, and Ruth the Moabite. Notice that language. It's like she's almost always called Ruth the Moabite. Like over half the times, we're told she's a Moabite. She's an outsider. She's a Gentile. She doesn't belong here, but yes, she belongs here. I want you to know that some of you feel right now that you don't belong here. I mean, you're sitting in church, but you're like, I don't belong in church. This Text couldn't be clearer to say, well, that's kind of right. You don't belong here. But you know what? Neither do any of us. None of us belong here. Because if it was on our own, none of us would be here. That's why it's based on grace. That all of us belong here because the gospel is to all people, all sinners who repent. So if you feel like an outsider, see yourself as Ruth. Guess what? Outsiders get a redeemer. And that's what Ruth needs to see. So she is the Moabite, and it says this, Beside, he said to me, you shall keep close, 
cling, is that word, by my young men until I have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young women, lest in another field you be exalted. So there's provision and there's protection. So she kept close. She clung to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. So it ends with her clinging to Boaz's people. So let's just recap the story. It starts with, hey, there's a worthy man named Boaz who's a redeemer. And there's this girl who is very needy. She's broken. She's destitute. She can't make it on her own. So she clings and casts herself on the mercy of another. She just takes a step, tries to make something happen. And it just so happens that she lands herself right in the path of her redeemer. And we see the beautiful sovereignty of God. That it ends with that redeemer sharing a meal with her where they break bread and they drink wine and she is satisfied and there's leftovers and way above and beyond her treatment. She doesn't get the law, she gets grace. She gets what she doesn't deserve. She gets a redeemer. And that is our story. But see, in order to get a redeemer, you have to understand you are like Ruth that you are needy, you are broken, you're destitute. When it comes to your spiritual life, you're bankrupt. You're not the one on this side of the soup kitchen giving out the soup. You're the one on the other side coming with an empty bowl saying, I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing. I can't fix it. I'm completely dependent on someone else. That's how we come to Christ. Needy and dependent. We come with our hands open with nothing to give. We come to the field empty. And guess what? In the field, we meet our Redeemer who has more than enough to provide for us, to satisfy us, and to have leftovers for us to take home. Go way above me on anything we could ever dream of. See, as we come as needy sinners to Jesus, we don't get we, what we deserve, we get more. We get grace. This is our story. But if you're going to get a Savior, if you're going to get a Redeemer, you have to first know your need. You have to know that you're Ruth. That you come with nothing to give and nothing to offer. That you come with empty hands ready to receive the gift of salvation. And that the gift is not something you deserve, but it's something God gives for his glory and your good. See, some of you this morning have maybe realized that you're, you're a lot like Ruth. You're broken, you're needy, and you have no way to fix yourself. You can't bring yourself back to God. So you're wandering into this field thinking, man, I, don't, I just need some answers. Well, you know what? It just so happened you came to the right place. Because it just so happens you heard the gospel this morning. That there's a redeemer who lived the life you couldn't. He died the death you deserve. He rose on the third day and he's coming back to get his people. And if you trust and believe in him, if you turn and leave Moab, if you leave yourself and your sin and you cling to Jesus, you will have life. You will have a redeemer. He's more than able to provide. He's more than able to protect. He's more than able to redeem. But you have to come to him as a sinner with nothing to offer and everything to gain. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. God, I pray if there's anyone in here who doesn't have Jesus as their redeemer, 
God, I invite them to stay after. We'll be here in the front. We'd love to talk about Jesus, about putting their faith and trust in him. God, I pray if anyone needs to do that, that they would know that they can anywhere and anytime to turn from sin and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, just like Zorbel did Wednesday night. God, we need a Redeemer. So let us understand our need and your provision. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org.